You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Absolutely, and that's not to diminish either one, either one of those. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is, it is so much of who I am, and, and it makes me who I am as a dad, as I, who I am as a husband, um, and, and just it, it, is, it is the saving grace in my life. And so um, I started preparing this, this, this talk as Joe and I talked about this. I started thinking about what I would share for, with you guys and what I thought would help get us kind of through this, this idea of gospel change, and then the gospel did what it does. Okay, it started gnawing at me. Right? It started gnawing at me and shaking things up inside of me. And began, and God began to work over my heart. And um, he began to say things in me like this and causing me to say things like this, which I just didn't like. He said, I started saying things like, God, allow even my weaknesses to be on display if you so desire as I prepare this. And I, I think that's the power of the gospel. I know that's the power of the gospel is that we don't have to be strong enough, that God is. I remember in Bible college, I had a professor, his name was Dr. Perriott. Dr. Perriott was just, was just a... He is and was a just just a just a saint of a man, and he, he would tell you he'd say when you read something in the, in the Bible and it convicts you, you better do something about it, because at that moment is when God is going to hold you accountable to what it is. When you read something in the Bible and it convicts you, I remember it was that same year I was in a, I was in a class and I was sitting there with another professor, Mr. Robinson, and we were we were talking about a lot of different issues and um and I was I was arguing because I didn't agree. Imagine that. I didn't agree with um, what, what, what was being said, and uh, somebody was doing this, and they were pointing it out that it was, it, was, it was truth, and I kept on disagreeing, and I remember the pr professor just stopping right in the middle of class and said, wait, 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 everybody, don't clutter Mike's preconceived ideas with the truth here, okay? And um, I, think, <laughs> I think we do that, don't we? Don't, don't, don't we just, don't, it's what happens, it becomes easier and easier to, just to do things on our own. It becomes easier and easier to not obey the truth of God, to get set in our own ways. And then what happens is it becomes a habit. And we start believing things the way we want to believe things and how we think it should be, as opposed to what the scripture says. This week was a humbling moment for me. I had a really humbling moment. And the, and the reason it's a humbling moment for me is I had to, I texted my wife and I, and I, I said, hey, we should pray together. Now, that, that might not sound like a very humbling moment. It's a very humbling moment when you're a pastor and as you're, as you're working on stuff like this, all of a sudden God convicts you and says, you don't pray with your wife. That's a, that's a humbling moment. Now, Rochelle and I have a great relationship. We talk literally about everything. We talk more than any few people probably should ever talk. Um, we share everything. I share what I'm studying. I share what I'm preaching. After I preach, she goes through stuff and tells me where I messed up, you know, and things like that, which is all healthy and wonderful. And, um, you know, we, and she shares her life. We talk literally about everything. But it was so convicting to me to sit there and think, I can talk to this woman literally about everything, but I don't talk with her to my father. It, it, it just, it overwhelmed me in that way. Um, it may sound weird to you, but we all have our struggles, don't we? And what I want to talk about, when we talk about gospel today and gospel change, I want to talk about some of my story and we want to talk about what God's wanting to do. But before I get into that, I mean, Joe said some nice words about me, but I want you to know that um, it's an honor to be able to be here. In my opinion, from your preacher comes some of the most biblical instruction on this earth right now. 
I, I love that guy. Um, the way he teaches and the way he encounters your lives, and not, yeah, I want you to know it not only changed your life, but it's also changed my life as I share some of my story. Some of the things it's gone through, the way that Joe, the way, the way you love God and the way you love others, and more important, the way you love the Word is inspiring to me, bro. And so it's an honor to be able to be here and to share with, with um, the people that God has entrusted to him. And so what I'm going to do this morning, um, I'm going to challenge your hearts. We're, we're going to challenge hearts. So at your tables, we're going to break into these a little bit. So just at your tables. Whenever I do this, they're going to be, they're going to be quick, okay? Um, understand like two or three minutes each time. I'll tell you kind of what we have. But at your tables, I want you to answer this question, okay? You guys ready for this? What is worse, a church with horrible biblical teaching and very little Christian action or a church with great biblical teaching and little Christian action? What is worse, a church with horrible biblical teaching and Christian action or a church with great biblical teaching and little Christian action? Ready, set, two minutes, go. All right, here we go. I think we can all agree that both are horrible, right? right? But if we look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 24, Matthew 11, 21 through 24, Jesus, I know it's Jesus because it's red letters in the Bible, right? Okay, <laughs> Jesus says right here, Woe to you, Terazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works had been done in you, for the, if the mighty works that has been done in you had been done in Sodom, this Sodom and Gomorrah, remember God destroyed them, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than it will be for you. If we're going to pick one or the other, the worst is when you're someplace there's this great biblical teaching and you're not applying it. You're not living it out. Spider-Man would say it this way, with great power comes great responsibility, right? God explains it this way. The more that we, the more that we are given, the more that we are to give. With, when we've been trusted much, much is expected from us. There is a praise to that, that God has given us much, but there's also this responsibility, right? There's also this idea that now that God has entrusted things to us, now that God has told us things to us, now that God has unveiled things to us, we must take action of some sort. The question then arises, what impact has the gospel had on your life? And the way you will know what impact the gospel has had on your life is answering this question. How are you living out the gospel today? How is the gospel real in Mike's life today? I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time. And so when I say that, I uh, want you to know I'm not that I'm a skeptic, but um, really nothing surprises me, okay? And I've learned this thing, you can't judge a book by its cover. It's easy to look at somebody and think, man, they really got it together, isn't it? They really got it together. But yeah, they're just masking things. I've been a preacher too long to do that. And so I'm not just saying that you just look at somebody and you judge a book by a cover, but there's something deeper. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation, the revelation given to John, the Apostle John. Chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 1. It says these words. 
And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation, right? I have a reputation. Based on my reputation, if I were to ask you a question before this, if you were somebody to ask you something about me, you probably wouldn't have guessed that I didn't pray a lot with my wife, right? Due to my reputation, judging the book by its cover. We have reputations. You can assume things about me. You can. You can assume all you want about me. But what, what, do, you really, what do you really know about Mike? What do, you, what do I really know about you? Jesus says here, you have an ep a reputation, but he says, I know the truth. Jesus says, I know the truth. Let, let, let me tell you, some of you have heard some of this story, but let me tell you the truth about Mike Sander. Four years old, I said I wanted to be a preacher. Four years old. I never changed my mind. Everything about my life was wanting to be a preacher. I mean, when kids are dressing up like, like football players and writing down in, in, uh, at school that they want to be a fireman or a policeman or a football player, I was writing about how I wanted to be a preacher all my life. Nothing, nothing would distract me from that. I went, to, I went to Bible college, started doing ministry stuff right, did all the things right, got married, all these things right, did everything I was supposed to do. But what I forgot to do was I forgot and I didn't allow the gospel to change my life. We're going to talk about that more. I allowed myself to dictate what my path would look like for God. And that not only played out in my personal, in my, in, in my relational relationship with God, but it started to play out in my personal relationships with others. It started to play out in ways that I had to, I had to carry on a certain reputation, a certain persona. And there would be things that I would push back against. There would be things I wouldn't let into my heart. There would be things I wouldn't work through because of the shame or, the, or the, um, the way that people would look at me or the expectations upon me or the fear of what people would think. It began to, um, for, for years, as a matter of fact, it began to um, affect my relationship with my first wife. And, um, and also things from her began to affect that relationship. Rochelle and I are married now, which is a beautiful thing, and I love her with all my heart. Um, we were working together, and we began to confide in each other in areas in life, in areas that things that you should, no, no man should confide in another woman with besides his wife. Um, and that's just, I'm not talking about anything weird, but just everyday life, joys, struggles, Pray for me, these kind of things. She was confiding me in the same way. We're working together to the point where we're, 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 having, we're, we're having an affair, but there was nothing physical about it at the time. Well, there ended up being something physical. We had a physical affair. And it, it, became, it became very much, it became very much um, the, the outward action of things that were happening for years in my life. See, in my marriage, um, the affair was a problem. Don't get me wrong. But the affair wasn't the problem in my marriage. It, it became a, a, big, a big failure. Moral, spiritual, physical, emotional devastation for me and many, many people. 
And it was very humbling to have to um, sit down and, and look at a spouse and say, I cheated on you. There's some people that don't like to hear my story. Especially when they see that I'm a preacher. Some people don't like to hear a story because it's so ugly. I don't like to hear my story. I, I don't like to, I don't like to think about um, the ways that I did not let the gospel change my life and the effects that it had over and over again. You see, I had enough faith in my life. I'm pretty sure I had enough faith that could have got me to heaven at that point in my life, but I didn't have enough faith to get me through the day. I struggled day in and day out. And you go back to this Revelation passage, Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. And he says this, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your words complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The ones who conquered, who, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name to my father and before my, his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <coughs> We're going to go into something right now. What I want you to do, I know most of you know each other, but what I want you to do is just say, hey, I'm, I'm Mike, and I want you to say one thing that somebody would know about. I'm not talking about a sin or anything. Don't go into that. Just one thing you think somebody wouldn't know about you. You know, so, hey, I'm Mike, and I like to play horseshoes. Or well, maybe some of you guys know that because you see me play. Anyway, but most people don't know that about me, okay? Um, so you, your name, and one thing about you, okay? Ready? You got, you got about 40 seconds. Ready? Go. All right, here we go. If I were to interview people about you, if I were to have an interview about you, I'm just going to find out as much information as I could. And I went to the people closest to you, okay? And I said, tell me about you, okay? I asked your spouse or asked your, asked, asked your, um, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. If I asked your friends, if I asked your coworkers, if I asked your neighbors, and I said, just tell me about them. Tell me what you know about them. Tell me what they're like. Tell me about their personality. Tell me how they handle anger. Tell me how they handle disappointment. Tell me about their relationship with their, with their spouse. Tell me about their relationship with their children. Tell me about their relationship with their extended family, like their parents and their siblings. Tell me about their relationship with God. Just tell me who they are. What do you know? Now, if, if I interviewed those people closest to you, what would they say about you? Start thinking about that. What would those people say about you? Now, what if I came to Joe or maybe some of the leadership and I asked the same questions? Tell me about them. Tell me about, what you, about, about, their, about their relationships in life. Tell me about how they handle anger and disappointment. Tell me about the relationship with their, with their spouse, with their kids. Tell me, about, tell me about their relationship with God. Who are they? Think about the report that I'd be getting by interviewing all these people. Okay? You got that in your mind? Now, if you would with me, just imagine what if, what if God would allow me he would capture me up and bring me up right in front of the throne room of God with my notebook. And God would allow me to leave this earth right now, come before his throne, and I could ask him, tell me about this person. 
Tell me about their personality. Tell me about how they handle anger, how they handle disappointment. Tell me about the relationship they have with those they love the most. Tell me about their relationship with you, God. Tell me who are they. What would be different? What would be different? Again, in our tables, we're going to go around and give you each one minute. So you're going to about, we're going to do this about five minutes. And what you're going to have is you're going to have about five minutes to explain what you think God would say about you. I know this is personal, but get over it, okay? Okay? What would God say regarding your actions and your love for him? What would God say regarding your actions and your love for him? Each one of you take a few moments to share with the group, go around the table. We're going to take about five minutes doing that, okay? Ready, go. Uh, it's kind of overhearing. It's kind of a hard deal, right? Because one, we sit there and we'll be like, oh, well, God, God forgives us because of Jesus. Yeah, I understand. Let's, 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 not, let's not downplay that, but let's cut through that. What is it that God would see? Because here's the deal. Is there a difference between what you think people would say about you and what God would say about you if he would just let her, if he would just let her rip? Is there a difference? Could it be, hear me here, hear me here, could it be that you and I as individuals are more concerned about our reputation than we are our character? Could it be? Do you know the gospel is all about character? The gospel is all about character. We can make ourselves out to sound better than we actually are. We can create a reputation for ourselves that may indeed be false when we stand before God. Isn't that true? We can lie to ourselves and lie to everyone else around us. My story, I, I, I tried in a marriage. I tried to get counseling. I tried all these different things. I failed in ways. She failed me in ways. There was two, there was two sides to the story, right? And our marriage crashed. And I'm going to tell you what, when my marriage crashed, as much as I never doubted my belief in God, my faith went crisis mode. I started identifying myself as failure. I started believing the things about myself. All of a sudden, this front and this pedestal and this persona that I put on so much, it, it had not been cracked. It had been shattered in such a way. I didn't know which way was up and, and what to stand on. And I began to focus on God's words. I tried, I tried to get right. And I tried to heal my heart. But I'm going to tell you something. Through that process, what happened that time is gospel change happened in my life right there. We're going to talk about that more as we go along. But gospel change happened in my life right there. God, Jesus, looked me straight in the face. It was like when Peter, you remember Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. And Peter says, I don't think so. I'm going to, if, if something's going to happen tonight, I'll die with you tonight. I won't deny you. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan came for you. In Luke chapter 22, Satan came for you and he was trying to do this and I had to fight for you. This is going to happen tonight, right? And then when Peter denies Jesus the third time, the rooster crowed in Luke chapter 22, it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter wept bitterly. 
Peter might have wept bitterly because he denied Jesus three times. I think Peter wept bitterly because he realized this persona that he had been living, that he was the hero and strong enough, crumbled right before his eyes and right before his Savior. And I was on my butt looking up at Jesus face to face and realizing, my goodness, Mike Sander, what did you try to become? And as I grew in the gospel through that, gospel change happened in my life. Redemption happened through that. God made me such a better person, not because of my sin is still horrible, but because I was willing to be broken, allow the gospel to come in. He has restored me into such a better and different person. But there was a point in that when guys like Joe Marino and Tyler Wilterding and a spiritual mentor of mine named Paul Bauman came along and said, what are you waiting for? Why are you staying here when God wants to use you? And see, I continue to let my sin define me. What the ideas of someone else hold me back. I used to fight so bad to have a reputation. But now this, these verses of Revelation 3, 2 through 6 are so dear to me. For Jesus to confess my name before the Father and to say, no, no, Father, Mike here, Mike, he loved me. Dude, I, Father, I know his rap list as much as you do. But this guy, he loved me. He, he tried to live it out every day. Isn't that what we want to hear from the voice of Jesus? That he comes before us for the Father. So if you're sitting here and thinking, man, this dude doesn't even know me. He spills his nasty story and starts challenging me in my own mess. You're right. Because there's no time anymore for fake, my friends. There's no time for fake. When there's something so big on the line, when there's something so grand on the line, why would we fake it? And when I see fake, I'm going to call it out. And I'm going, to be I'm going to be a transparent person, not wallowing in my sin, but not afraid to share how God has made a redemption story of a broken man. So imagine that, the faking, the masks we put on, being good enough, thinking this is what it is, where gospel change never actually happens in our life. Play that out, if you would, with me to the end. Play living that out all the way to the end. You fool everyone throughout your whole life. You throw on the religious thing. You know all the right stuff, but you never allow gospel change to happen. Then you die and you go to hell. But you think while well, you're in hell, everyone thinks I'm in heaven, so I'm okay, right? Is, is that what we're shooting for? How ridiculous is that found? Man, I fooled them. Fooled them. They still think I'm in heaven. How ridiculous. How long will that joy last? And I think we need to ask ourselves these questions when it comes to gospel change. If we are going to carry the gospel, if we're going to grow in the gospel, we have got to get honest with ourselves. You have got to start looking at yourself. In order for gospel change to happen, you have to be real with yourself. So, <laughs> by yourself right now, I'm going to give, I'm going to give a couple moments. What I want you to think of is, I know there's going to be, if you're like me, there's more than one. But I want you to think of one thing right now that you need to get right with God. One thing. Let's not overwhelm yourself and let's not make yourself feel horrible, okay? One thing. 
In order to move forward in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to deal with this. I want you to think about that. And that's beautiful there, guys. That, that's good stuff. You know, the, the gospel, when we look at the gospel, the gospel is intended to change hearts. It's not intended to leave you at that spot and make you feel, oh man, I suck. Okay? It's okay to have that feeling and realize, oh, I need to do something. I need to, I need to, I, I need to surrender more to Jesus. I need to allow God to come in here. I need to, I need to allow God to at least, at least touch that. But the gospel is intended to change hearts. I want to pray with you right now. Let's pray. God, God, thank you. God, thank you. <laughs> man, that's hard. It's hard for us to be that vulnerable and honest with ourselves, not alone in a group. And so I, I want, God, would you come upon these people and, and one, just encourage them right now because there has to be a thousand things that are going through their mind now. A thousand things of why would I get myself there or memories of how you got there. And, and it would so, be so easy to be beat up right now. God, do not allow that. I pray what comes out of this is strength and power, conviction, and a, and a desire, a desire to allow gospel change to come in their life. God, I love you, and I love these people. In your name I pray. Amen. The gospel is action. It is action. When it changes your life, when the gospel changes your life, it must change others. It, it, it can't stay inside there. God wants to use people, and God wants to use circumstances in your life. To, to, to manifest the gospel. People and circumstances. You're the people. Bob Thune, he's the author of um, Gospel-Centered Community, Gospel-Centered Life, he says this quote, The gospel shapes our community, and the community we are a part of shapes us in the gospel. And I like that a lot. I said this a little bit earlier, but you know what the hardest thing for me is? The hardest thing for me is to realize that I'm not the hero of the story. Hardest thing for me is that God, to realize is that God is for God. God is for His glory. The reason God does everything is for His glory. The reason God made me was for His glory. The reason God does, when, when I do something that's good, it's not for my glory, it's for, it's for God's glory. God is for God. I'm not the hero in the story. God is the hero in the story. For instance, if you look at the story of David and Goliath, right? Who do we all want to be? We're going to be David, right? But I tell you what, if you gave me five stones and a little sling, I'd miss five times. I, I wouldn't hit the first time. And, then I, I, you can, and if you don't believe it, you can just look at my track record in life. I like to think I'm the hero. I like to think that I'm the guy that can hit the, the game ring home run. I like to think that I'm the one that could sling the rock and slay the giant. But the truth of the matter is, if I were to, if I were to superimpose myself into the story of David and Goliath, I wouldn't be David. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be Goliath. I'd probably be one of the Israelites over there saying, Oh my goodness, he's going to kill me, right? That'd be me. I'm not the hero. I need a hero. I can't fix people. I need fixed. I don't save people. I need a savior. You know the reason why I can get people from, from where they are to Jesus so well? is because I have worn out that path, okay? I have to go to Jesus continually because of my nature, because of my struggles, 
I constantly find myself taking that path to Jesus on my knees and getting God. And so I, I can naturally take people there because I know the way. Not because I'm good enough, but because I need him that bad. You know, there'd be times I'd be looking at the Bible and I'd be looking at in my life and I'd look at the church. I look at the Bible and I look at the church. And I would be like, they don't look the same. And it's just, it doesn't look the same. Jesus had that moment, those moments, right? When he's looking at the kingdom of God and looking at, looking at his people, and he's like, wait a second, this doesn't look the same. Even though you claim to love me, it doesn't look the same. Does it, does it ever bother you as you read the word of God, and then you look at the way that Christians do the things that Christians do, and then you think, what, what is that? It doesn't look the same. Does that ever bother you? That's called the heart of the gospel. It's when you strip everything else down. And you realize what God is about. One of my values in life is I want to do ministry just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. God, strip away Mike. Strip away anything else I've seen and help me to see how you love people and what was important to you. But we think if we say something that people are going to think we're judging them, right? But I can't help it. When I'm alone with this book called the Bible, I can't help but think about different, uh, how different it is from what he says and what we do. I can't help it. And you know what happens? You know what happens in our life when all of a sudden we allow religion and we allow church and we allow our own ideas and our own life to dictate what, what the gospel should look like? We start asking questions like this. How does this relationship function for me? We start asking questions like this. How does this co-worker, co-worker function for me? We ask questions like this. How does my spouse function for me? How does this church function for me? How does this change in my life function for me? But when we have been humbled, when we have been knocked down on our butts and we're face to face to God through the gospel and gospel change happens to us, our questions change and our questions start to answer sound more like this. What does God want to teach me through this person? See, God uses people and circumstances to infiltrate the gospel to us. They are his means, if you will. They are the means that he comes to, to, to us with. He says, I will put people in your life to challenge you in who I am. I will put circumstances in your life that will make you question what is normal and make you come back to me and to my gospel. Here's another question. It'll, when you come face to face humbly with the gospel, it will ask questions like this. How is the Holy Spirit shaping me through this community? Maybe a question arises like this. What does God want me to see about him through the people around me? Whether you like them or not, what does God want me to see about him? Maybe a question like this. How is God trying to form me or get my attention through this circumstance? How is God trying to form me or get, the, get my attention through this change in my life? 
We were talking about that over here. I can't remember who was saying it, but all of a sudden change happens. Oh, you, um, Dave, you're talking about when his, when his window got shot out in his van. And, and, and he, wants, he wants his idea not to go immediately to anger, but to be more like Jesus in that way. When change happens in our life, what happens to us? How about this? How is God trying to form me or get my attention through my schedule? Brandon's been sharing that, right? How is God trying to form me or get my attention through the changes around me. You see, before the gospel impacts your life, you have questions like this that happen in your life. Here's the questions before the gospel changes your life. Do I see a lot of people that are like me here? Are, are, these, are these people like Am I going to relate with them? We ask questions like this. Does this church have a good whatever ministry? Do I like their worship? Does the preaching really resonate with me? Do they have good children's ministry? We ask questions like this. Does this church meet my needs? Does it scratch my itch? Does it fit my preferences? But once the gospel changes or impacts our life, we start asking questions like this. How does God want to form me through these people? You might be looking at it. Joe back there, I'm just going to use an example. Joe's looking at the circumstances right there happening and how they feel like they're coming upon him. And the question Joe needs to answer and Joe and I have had this discussion, is how does God want to form you, Joe, through what's happening? Is what's happening a good thing? No. But can God form Joe into something that he wants? Can God teach him to? Absolutely. Because God will use people and circumstances to usher his gospel into your life, into ways that you'll never listen through reading. You'll never listen through through a preacher. You'll never listen to through anything else except for when it impacts you and it hits you where it hurts, where it matters. Here's a question you'll ask once the gospel has changed your life. How might, the, how might these people be a means to God's grace in my life? How might their weaknesses and their failures help me to see more of Christ? How might their strengths help strengthen me as a disciple, as, 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 opposed to being, as opposed to being fearful of or intimidated by or thinking you have to control people because they could be better than you. How can their strengths actually help strengthen you in Christ? How might this cha change? How might this change in my life, whatever it is, relationally, socially, economically, whatever it is, physically, how might this change in my life even if it's not my preference, help me to surrender to God's will in my life. Do you guys, you guys hear what I'm saying here? That God uses people and circumstances in his means to form us. And what's he form us in through those things? To form us into an understanding of who God is. To form us into an understanding of who we are and to form us into an understanding of what Christ has done for us. It, 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 would, it, would be, it would be so ridiculous for me to come up here and, and talk about the change of gospel and talk about what change means and not to challenge your hearts and to challenge your hearts to say, we have got to allow God to change us in our circumstances when God's looking right at us and say, God, what do you want from me? God, what can I learn from this? God, how can I grow from this? After my fall, and through my restoration, 
I began to ask some questions. And one question that came to my mind over and over again is this. Shouldn't there be a tremendous difference between a person who is alive in the gospel and a person who is not? I mean, shouldn't there be not just a difference, I mean, an outstanding difference? You know, there's a big difference between my grandpa Bill and I. My grandpa Bill is my dad's dad. There's a huge difference between him and I. And I'm not trying to be grotesque here, but the difference is my grandpa's dead and I'm not. He's been dead for 25 years. And I appear to be still alive, okay? And when I say that, not to be grotesque, but to hear this, shouldn't there be a big difference between someone who does not have the spirit of the living God inside of them and a person, us, who have the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead inside of us? Shouldn't there be a difference? Shouldn't there be a point when gospel change happens that our lives look different? That you are alive, that you are regenerated. How does Paul say it in 2 Corinthians 5.17? You are a new creation, a new creature, a whole new being. Everything that was old is gone. Something new, your new creation, has come. Do you believe this? Do you believe words like this? For God so loved the world. That's the God. The God of creation of all things. Right? That he gave his one and only son. It's the only one that he had that he sent down here to earth to die for us. That whoever believes in him, that's whoever, anyone, anywhere, whether you like them or not, anyone will not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that gospel change can happen in you? That the God of the universe and His sacrifice is even enough for your past, even enough for your present and your future, even enough for what you've done and what's been done for you? Do you believe that that's enough? Can you believe it's enough for the people you come in contact with? The people that have done this to you? Do you believe that God can save them? This is gospel change, friends. Do you believe that God can save them? Whoever believes in me, in John chapter 14, Jesus uses those same words again. The same words in the Greek, exactly. Of whoever believes in me, he brings it back up in John chapter 14, in verse 12. He says this, Truly, truly I say to you, that means it's really true, okay? Double true, okay? Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me, there's those words, listen to what he says after that. First time he said, whoever believes in me will what? Have eternal life, right? Here's what he says here. Whoever believes in me, listen to these words, I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff will also do the works that I do. Now listen, he doesn't stop there. That'd be enough. <laughs> I can't believe this stuff. I really can't. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Do you believe that one? <laughs> 
Gospel change here, friends. Gospel change. We're not talking about how do we become a better church leader? How do we become a better Christian inside of this? We're talking about a change that will impact a world. A change that one man comes from heaven and comes down here and says, I'm going to live my life this way. I'm going to choose 12 people. This is my plan. There is no plan B. I'll choose 12 people. And they're going to change the entire world. That is the most ridiculous plan I've ever heard. That is horrible. Horrible when it comes to our world. That's your marketing plan? You're going to use a whole bunch of ordinary guys? You think they're going to be able to travel all over the world? In that day and age? That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He says, this is my plan. And he says it because if you believe in me, you will do everything I can do, but you'll even do greater things than that. Why? Not because we're greater in Jesus, because Jesus says, I'm up here orchestrating it. I got your back. I'm going to send down my spirit to do the very spirit that kept Jesus to walk on the path to live for, Jesus, for God and to live a perfect life. He goes, I will send down my helper to be your helper, and I'm going to be up here in heaven helping orchestrate this whole thing, and you will do even greater things, things that have never been seen. Do you believe that one? Do you believe that, people? That gospel change can happen, that you can make an impact. And you've got to understand that you are the person. God wants to use people to bring the gospel into other people's lives. You are the people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that God could use you to do things that Jesus did? And even greater things. We say we believe John 6, 3.16, believe and go to heaven. That's great. We believe that. But do, but this is the responsibility. If we believe that, because with, with responsibility, right? With becomes with, with 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 great, what's the word? Honor? You have great responsibility, right? God expects more. Here's the responsibility is John 14, 12. Do you believe? And are you starting to do something about it? That's heavy stuff. If you believe the first one, we should see evidence of the second one in your life. You see, I told you earlier, I had enough faith at one time in my life. To, I think I had enough faith to get me to heaven. But it didn't end up being enough faith to get me through most days. And it definitely wasn't enough faith for me to begin to live like Jesus. And my world got rocked because of my sin. And God used a circumstance to awaken, to awaken some dry bones. Have you ever doubted what God can do through you? Have you ever limited the power of the gospel just by your thinking? Interaction with the gospel changes everything. The gospel change it starts with you and it starts in you. We sing the song, Amazing Grace, right? And the song doesn't go like this. I once was blind, but now I'm still blind. 
He says, I once was blind, but now, now I see. You will never understand the magnitude and the power of grace until we come to the grips of our depravity and how much we need a Savior. And when that occurs, when that occurs, your heart and passion for those who are hurting, your heart and passion for those who are drowning, it will become urgent. When gospel change happens, you will not strive to do things like Jesus, and you will not strive to do things better than Jesus. You will have the heart of Jesus, and you will carry out His gospel to a hurting and dying people. It's humbling to stand up in front of people and say, for so many years, God used me absolutely in spite of me. Every day I wake up, every day I hit my knees and I pray, don't let me be anything except for yours today, Jesus. Allow your gospel to be made alive through this vessel. Gospel change, my friends. Let's pray. God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Allow my heart to be your heart. Allow our ways to be your ways. Allow us to surrender to your will. God, as we find ourselves looking face to face with you in the direct rebellion against you, may we remember in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus promises Peter. He tells him, you will deny me three times, but he says these words, but when you turn back, strengthen the brothers. So when we find ourselves face to face, Jesus, when we find ourselves with you, may we know your desire is for us to turn back. And when we do that, give us the strength to love others, to live out this gospel change in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.